Hello there. My name is Gareth Long and I'm the Communications Coordinator for the Faculty of Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences at ARU. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing some of our students, alumni and academic and technical staff to explore their experiences of education, their career paths and their advice for anyone hoping to work in the same field. In this episode, I talk with Chris Draper, course leader and senior lecturer for our BA Honours Illustration degree. Our conversation takes us through Chris's journey as a practising illustrator from education to professional life, his early experiments with a music career that got him into the top 10 of the indie dance charts, and how working as a freelance illustrator, particularly with New Scientist magazine, opened him up to new ideas he had never before considered. This interview was originally recorded in March 2021, when the UK was still under national lockdown because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, with no further ado, let's get on with the podcast. So, my name's Chris Draper. I'm course leader for the Illustration BA course at Cambridge School of Art, part of Anglia Ruskin University. Um, Outside uh, of that, over the years, I've been a freelance illustrator working editorially for magazines like New Scientist, the independent newspaper GQ, a lot of book covers for the major publishing houses, advertising work for BT, NatWest, Weetabix, eCover, things like that. Um, so, and, and I've been teaching alongside that at various institutions, you know, over that time. Studied at Central St. Martins for my degree, and did three years MA at the Royal College. So that's a bit about me, the, the bare bones. Was your degree in illustration originally? Well, weirdly at the time uh, you did a graphics degree uh, and you specialised after the first year. So I actually initially did advertising. I love ideas. Uh, I spent a day in a studio with the other people doing advertising and realised it wasn't for me. Uh, I didn't have a creaky leather jacket <laughs> and didn't want to drive a Porsche. Uh, so the second day I realised I was probably better suited to illustration and, and definitely found my tribe. So although I graduated with graphics, I specialised in illustration. And then went on to do a master's and... Yeah, which is a two-year course, but I was offered a third year because I was working a lot with sound and music. And to give him credit, Dan Fern, who read, ran the course, was very open-minded about what illustration could be and offered me a third year pretty well just to work with sound. So working with sampling and, and kind of making music and collages. So I was working with visual collage and he said, that's really interesting if you can apply that to sound. Um, so I got an extra year just really to work with sound. So it was specifically like a sound collage rather than an illustrated animation with sound. Yeah, I, I could never work that one out. So I was doing animation and the tutors were always going, well, you must write the soundtrack to this. And I was also doing soundtrack for animation students and I couldn't get the two things to work together. My brain, it, it was like music or sound and visual were doing different things and I could never create my own visuals and put sound to them. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but I really enjoyed you know, working with animators, you know, working on their soundtracks as well. Did you still do any sound work nowadays? Uh, a little bit. Um, so when I first left the Royal College, I wasn't sure whether I was going to go into music or to illustration. Um, 
so part of my degree show was a 12 inch LP uh, that was part of my kind of graduation and there were a couple of singles out after that <laughs> got into the top 10 of the indie dance charts uh, and then just decided I was doing uh, music for uh, TV adverts and and kind of stings intros for TV programs uh, and then just decided I needed to make a decision and decided to work in illustration but still love working with sound what were the acts that uh, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> okay. No, no. <laughs> uh, you'll we never those links, so. <laughs> It was for one week. <laughs> Fair enough. We shall move on. Um, and this, in no way related to who they may have been, what one thing, and it could be a piece of art, design, or other media, maybe even a song, <laughs> <laughs> personal um, or historical event that inspired well, in, you to get into illustration? In, in, in terms of illustration or the visual side of things, um, probably the biggest influence was an exhibition which was called Lost Magic Kingdoms by Eduardo Palazzi. Um, and that was at a museum that doesn't exist anymore, the Museum of Mankind. It was part of the, the British Museum. Uh, and for me, that was a huge eye-opener in that objects could tell stories. Uh, you know, I was an art student, we were doing lots of drawing and there was a kind of light bulb moment where, well, why do I have to draw the object? Why don't I use the object itself? And he'd been given access to all the kind of back uh, bits of the British Museum and, and started making collages with African masks and all sorts of crazy stuff, but still kind of telling stories. And, and that's really what got me on the journey of using objects and photography in illustration. Uh, I then discovered Joseph Cornell, uh, who really kind of inspired me. And more recently, um, Medicine Man at the Wellcome Institute. In terms of music, it was probably Brian Eno. <laughs> For a whole, a whole bag of reasons, the music, the thinking, uh, I just found him a really kind of inspirational um, and in a way, I suppose that, that that's still relevant today in, in a lot of the work I do is kind of ambient, the, the visual work. Um, so I think those are the key influences. But that, that exhibition, Lost Magic Kingdoms, was it really was the light bulb moment. So it was entirely found object? Found objects and also objects from his studio. So it's really interesting to see an artist and a museum working in this, you know, using objects to to tell different stories. Uh, so obviously the British Museum have all the labels and Palazzi just came in like a kind of cowboy and said, I like that, I like the look of that, they'll go well together. So it kind of broke a lot of the rules that you would normally expect in a, uh, a museum. And I found that really playful and yeah, something I wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen some of your found object work, I remember from the article, the newspaper article. Right. Uh, couple of yeah. god it must have been a few years ago now mustn't it that yeah. was fascinating i love things like that i love used to love collecting things when i was a kid just objects and yeah particularly na natural objects you know and had a whole I shelf full of things kids do naturally you pick up shells mm -hmm. on the beach you stones you go for a walk you pick up mm -hmm. sticks and i suppose i've kind of made a career out of that so you'll probably notice in the background the stag's head <laughs> fantastic What's where did the... that come from uh Brighton originally, the junk market in Brighton, uh, but I had to get it back to London on the train, <laughs> which raised a few eyebrows. 
<laughs> see, I can see that sitting on the front of a Land Rover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the other thing, I suppose, that, that films have had a huge impact on me as an artist, and particularly a, a director called Parajanov, a Russian director who did a film called The Colour of Pomegranates, which I have no idea what the film is really about, but it's one of the most beautiful films you will ever see. And yeah, I'm glad you reminded me about film, actually, because that that also, when I was on my MA, really informed the kind of work I was doing. Well worth a watch. What was the film itself called? It's called The Colour of Pomegranates. Pomegranates. Have you ever seen any um, Tarkovsky? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Objects and the way the camera moves over them. Yeah. I imagine that's the kind of thing you might quite like as well. Yeah, yeah, no, great fan of Tarkovsky. He wrote a brilliant book called Sculpting in Time, which is a lovely way of describing cinema. What single piece of advice would you give your younger self? One of them is a personal bugbear. Enjoy life without the internet and social media. Make the most of that. Um, the, I suppose it took me a while to work out that your, your work grows out of your life and the life you live, not the other way around. I, as a student, I took my work incredibly seriously. And I think I missed out on, on certain things. Um, so, yeah, your work should naturally grow out of the life that you live, not the other way around. Um, you might not know what you're doing now, but keep going with it. Because I didn't know what I was doing when I left college. Uh, and it was a kind of exercise in faith and believing what I did was interesting and hoping other people would share it and the last bit of advice i, I couldn't beat it is from baz lerman's so song i don't know if you know it wear sunscreen it's it's a brilliant kind of speech i've heard it but i've heard the title yeah so. yeah it's absolutely brilliant um yeah those were the i, I couldn't really pick one of those i think they're all kind of valid and they're all things that i would yeah, you know, it's nice the idea you might go to a party and trip over someone on the stairs and it's your younger self. And my younger self wouldn't have listened to any advice anyway, whatever I had to say. I think you're the second person who said that. But yeah, that's sort of, great, Dad. I think I'd agree. <laughs> uh, so do you use social media much yourself? Do you still have a platform for sharing work or I, I feel under pressure to. It's not something I enjoy using. It's it's something that I find interesting, but it is a time vortex. And when, like most academics, you're you're pressed for time, uh, you have to be quite discriminating about what you engage with. So, uh, yeah, I do keep an eye on Instagram, but I'm not someone who's on Twitter half the day and checking out LinkedIn. And uh, I think students who are graduating really need to engage with this. Uh, but as a kind of full-time academic, I find it a huge distraction. So you think that people coming through now, for them, it is necessary? Yeah, and I think, you know, remember I grew up, <laughs> I spent most of my life without the internet. Uh, these are digital natives, it's not a biggie for them. And mm. I think I, I find concentrating on that sort of thing probably more difficult than they do. Uh, do you feel that pulls them away from what I would 
called the real world, though, if they can live too much on those platforms, then they're not getting those kind of experiences you were talking about, possibly. I do, and given the last year, they haven't been able to have many experiences anyway. But I think for all the, the great things about social media, I think they can be quite corrosive, that you can be comparing yourself with other people all the time. Quite often you're looking at work and you've got no context, like was it commissioned? Is it personal work? Um, and also, I think students can sometimes pick up on healthy, what I'd call styles, you know, oh, this is trendy, this is what illustrators do. Uh, I'd much rather they went and spent an afternoon in Fitzwilliam exploring a room that they've never been into before. So, yeah, it shouldn't be either or experiential or online social media. It's, it's getting that balance right. And I think a lot of people are trying to work that one out. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully that's something that university courses guide them to do absolutely well. yeah yeah um, so and kind of on that line of thinking what's the most valuable thing you took from your own education um i was trying to think about this and i think what what my education did was encourage something that was probably latent there but gave me the confidence in it and that is a sense of curiosity um you know, and I think any any successful illustrator is going to need that. I think it's kind of inherent of being curious about the world around me and not just illustration. Uh, you know, we're working for New Scientist. I was exposed to all sorts of kind of crazy articles and things that I didn't know about or understand. And I really enjoyed that. And, and it's the same with book covers. Something that illustration has given me was exposed me to things that I wouldn't normally seek out that maybe are not my taste. Uh, and if you take a commission on, you just have to learn about something and get enthusiastic about it. So that sense of curiosity has stood me in good stead. And it was always encouraged on the courses that I was on. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. Again, <laughs> curiosity. It's You're not the first person to have said that. Well, I always uh, say- I think it, it is, it's absolutely crucial because that's what allows you to engage with the world around you. Yes, yeah. you know. and I, was, I do a presentation and one of the slides is curiosity killed the cat, but it's really important for illustrators. And I think not just illustrators, any creative person. Uh, it's what allows you to continually to evolve and develop. Uh, you know, a career in the creative industries might last for 40, 50 years, and you really don't want to be doing the same work that you you were doing at college. So how do you reinvent yourself? How do you feed your creativity? And really that is through curiosity. Kills cats, but really good for illustrators. <laughs> what was the um, work that you did for New Scientist? What specific subject was it on? Oh, I, I was working virtually weekly for New Scientist. Oh, really? So one week it might be about dark matter, this theoretical, um, stuff that no one's ever seen how do you visualize that as an illustrator the next it might be how do pigeons react to music do they prefer mozart or heavy metal um so no i loved working for new scientists really open-minded always interesting subject matters um so we had a long relationship um i don't tend to work with them well i don't work with them now because editorial by its nature is a very quick turnaround you might get a couple of days or a week I teach now, so that's my priority. So I still do the occasional book cover to keep my hand in, um, but don't take on that kind of editorial magazine and newspaper work. 
how did you draw dark matter? Oh so man, <laughs> that's going back. Well, it wasn't drawing. It it was kind of yeah. It was a it was one of the trickiest ones, and it wasn't just one image. They wanted three images on it of it, uh, and I think I ended up using fireworks and sparklers, you know, shot in the studio and inverting them so they were black rather than white and. I don't think anyone could write in and go, uh, I think you're wrong there. <laughs> An artist impression of what dark matter might look like. Um, stuff these in, yeah, always in photos on the BBC website with their science <laughs> articles and things like that. Like, okay, that's what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. But they never put artist impression. Yeah. It's yeah. It's no, uh, stock image they pulled, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, but new scientists' readership would always pick up, uh, you know, it's what they do. If there was yeah, something wrong, they... yeah. <laughs> BBC readers probably yeah. just let skip it walk reading. over. <laughs> <laughs> now, the okay. next question was an interesting one the future of illustration. Yeah. Uh, go for that. Go for that. What do you think the future of illustration and university illustration courses will be like? It's a tricky one because I think what, what has happened in the last year has thrown a lot of things up in the air. So I don't think that my graduating students will be using physical portfolios in the future. I think the days of dropping a physical portfolio off are done and dusted. I don't think anyone's going to want to, you know, for the foreseeable future, touch things that are just dumped on the doorstep um in in the longer term we keep hearing about ai how it's going to impact on some very established industries like law accountancy things that can be quite repetitive i think anyone working in the creative areas will have an edge because we are ideas based so my view is you know we might be using photoshop illustrator now five ten years ago we didn't have procreate now a lot of students are using procreate so i have no idea what kind of software we will be using in 10 or 15 years time i think that it would be naive to predict that so i think if you concentrate on ideas on problem solving first and then say okay what's the best way to express that is it going down and doing a monoprint or a silk screen or using a 3d printer um or, or ceramics so if we place the emphasis on ideas rather than software we're kind of future proofing the course uh and that's not to say we won't engage with technology but i think that's as i say i don't have a crystal ball to predict what my students will be using in 10 years time so let's use the technology we've got but place the emphasis on concepts ideas and problem solving and that's one thing computers are not brilliant at at the moment doesn't mean they won't get brilliant um but i think there are there are other industries that are probably much more prone to that conversion to technology and ai and algorithms than creativity what's uh, the most interesting thing you get to do in your role and you could answer what's the most important thing if you'd prefer uh most interesting thing is working with students um seeing and discussing new work every day so i, I was going to say typically my day there is no typical day other than seeing new work i might be looking at someone who's using 3d printer in the workshop oh how's that illustration convince me uh surprise me uh someone else might come up from printmaking someone else is bringing an ipad in working on procreate and someone else is working in ceramics. So 
working with students, challenging ideas of what illustration can be. Uh, that is what I have carried through my education. That is what I try and instill students. Um, what are what are the next generation of illustrators going to be making? Do not copy what is already out there. There's no point. It's out there. <laughs> my students need to reinvent what illustration can be, and I will I totally support that. So that's interesting as well, because one of the first things when because obviously I've been looking at book covers a lot yeah. <laughs> recently yeah. and still trying to get to grips with how you design a book cover that somebody's going to want to buy. Yeah. And one of the first things they say, do your market research, look at what everybody else is putting out. And you look yeah. at it and think, well, it all looks very similar. Yeah. And also almost regardless of genre as well, yeah. to a certain extent. But it looks very different to what was around 20 years ago. So everybody's just following this trail almost that's set by one or two people. And that's not doesn't strike me as the way to get your ideas to stand out. You know? I was reading an interview with a book cover designer, I think it was in The Observer a few weeks ago, about in the last year, no one's been able to go into a bookshop. So your book cover has to basically work as a tile on Amazon mm. or any online marketing. Mm. So they tend to be very bold, but they have to work as a small icon. And they just ran best-selling books from the last year. Uh, and you could see that's what these designers were doing. Um, it works at the size of a postage stamp because no one is looking at books on a bookshelf. Uh, you know, it can catch your eye in a physical space. But now so many people are working in a digital environment. It's completely transformed. It's like going from the album cover, you know, the 12 inch album cover mm. down to an icon on iTunes or Spotify. It's rubbish. But I thought it was interesting that the, the pandemic had actually affected book covers in, in that respect, uh, that people are ordering their books online. Do you feel that's actually affected the quality of the covers or is it just a different it, the quality still needs to be as good, but it's just a different way of doing it. I think it's a different way of doing it. Illustrators are really on the whole and designers used to working with compromise, with constraints. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's kind of depressing that what could be really exciting book covers are in some ways compromised. You know, maybe they can't be as ornate or decorative. Uh, and if that's relevant to the book, that's a real shame that, you know, but I always judge a book by its cover, it's part of my job. Um, but just to see that, you know, this online movement is, is kind of deciding how covers have to work. It's a different set of rules, I suppose. I'm going to skip the next one for now because I'd quite like to get your idea on one thing in Cam about Cambridge that other people might not know. I've got a cracker for you. Uh, now you might know it. <laughs> so Crick and Watson, who uh, envisaged DNA, <clears throat> uh, I think it was um, Francis Crick's wife, Odile, was actually a member of staff at Cambridge School of Art. Uh, and she drew the first visualisation of DNA, which is probably one of the most important scientific drawings of the 20th century. Um, so if you if you look up a deal um, on the internet, a deal crick, it mentions she was teaching at an institution which is now Anglia Ruskin University. Um, so the first actual drawing of DNA was done by 
a member of staff of our precursor. Wow. How does the work that you do outside of the university tie in with your work at AIU? Tricky one, this. Uh, other than in, it informs everything from the curriculum, the structure of projects, the feedback of projects. Um, so over my years of working with designers and art directors and discussing projects, that professional side is very much at the heart of the course. So students are always working with briefs, um, you know, they're doing roughs. So the, the structure of the course, it maps over very closely to the life of the freelance illustrator. Uh, it's not as though education and the business are separate. That, that, that my freelance experience informs the educational experience. This is slightly off topic, but has the lockdown affected the opportunities that students have been able to take up over the past year? Hugely. Um, everything from our overseas drawing trip, which you know would normally be to Lisbon, Seville, Porto, we couldn't do that. The students didn't get a degree show last year, they won't get one this year. They don't get the new designers opportunities up in London. But what I would say is I'm incredibly impressed by the quality of work that is coming out for the students. And I think the industry is really aware of how tough it is for students this year and, and last year. I know uh, setting up uh, support networks, competitions, internships to try and give students that kind of launch platform, which normally would be really exciting and in a physical environment. Um, the opportunities are out there. Um, but it's a real credit to the students that I don't feel this year and last year's third years are producing uh, poorer work, which is a real credit to them. <laughs>